Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I have the pleasure of having with me Derek Pando. Derek is a BYU Merritt School of Business MBA alum. In addition to that, Derek has spent a lot of time in his career working for emerging and fast-growing tech startups, uh, most recently serving as the head of international marketing, partner marketing, and localization at Zoom, which we all know and love. So I'm really excited to talk to Derek today about his career journey, about career in general, and also what he's up to next. And for the listeners out there, just for context, I actually met Derek, uh, as they say, online. When I was actually recruiting for MBA internships, I was doing a lot of cold emailing and I had reached out to Derek because at the time he was at LinkedIn and I just asked him for an informational interview and he's very helpful to me in that process. And while I never ended up at LinkedIn, I had the ability to kind of build an online relationship, so to speak, with him. And he's just been someone who I've enjoyed conversing with digitally over the years. And so I'm really glad to have him on the podcast today. So Derek... Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to dive in, but I always love to start with a warm-up question on the podcast. So my question for you is, because we're focusing so much on careers, I would love to know when you were a kid, when you were five or six or whatever, you know, what did you want to be when you quote unquote grew up? All right. That's a great first one, but I'll, I'll also say that the feeling's mutual. Uh, I enjoyed meeting you when you were a student. It's been fun to watch your progression and see how, you know, your passion for helping other MBA students has uh, grown and continued, you know, many years after graduation. But, you know, I think my fir- my first memory of wanting to be something was a marine biologist, which I've found out is actually like not an uncommon thing for a child. <laughs> like my wife, when I met her, she also wanted to be a marine biologist uh, when she was a kid. But that, but that kind of evolved when I was in like middle school and high school, I had a lawn mowing business that did really well. And I, I got a lot of, you know, satisfaction and growth out of that. And so that Around that time, I was more like, I'm just going to be a businessman, you know, like I I didn't really know what that meant, but like I had my little business. I was really proud of it. And so that's what I wanted to be. That's great. Um, I feel similar in some respects of just this idea of a businessman. What prompted the lawn mowing business? Did you just have a lawnmower or did you mow a lot of lawns for your, mow the lawn for your, for your family or, or how did that, how did that get started? You know, it was my dad. Like we moved, I grew up in Texas. We moved from Houston to Austin when I was uh, like 14. We moved to Austin, we moved to a new neighborhood. And my dad, my dad's like, hey, you should mow the neighbor's lawns. I mean, most of these people don't have a, someone to mow it yet. And, you know, he kind of just gave me this gentle nudge and some encouragement and, you know, kind of took off from there. And, you know, I, as I'm a parent now, I'm like, you know, that was a pretty good model. You know, he kind of set me up, kind of gave me a little nudge, but but enough to get me going. And then from there, I was motivated and enjoyed making money in the interaction with customers and stuff. So yeah, so I slightly different getting in my first job story, but I think similar vein. Um, so I, I wanted to get a job. And so when I was 12, I started working at a golf course. And I and I think at first, my parents were a little hesitant to let me do that just because, you know, I was still pretty young. But once they saw how excited I was about it, and how much I enjoyed it, because I couldn't drive, they were willing to kind of support me. And so uh, they will, you know, 
golf starts pretty early on the weekends for those of the folks who play out there. And so they often would wake up at, you know, 5 a.m. And, and 5.30 and, and take me to the golf course so I could go and work and then and pick me up. And so um, while initially they were a little hesitant, they were incredibly supportive in enabling me to, to take that on. And certainly something that I'm grateful for. And one day, hopefully when I have a family, I just like you will be able to kind of pay it forward in that respect. So I, lo- I love that. Okay. So let's, let's just jump in and maybe just to start, what were you doing before uh, going to get your MBA at, at BYU? And, and why did initially you, did you choose to pursue an MBA at that point in time in your career? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, no one in my family really has an MBA like my parents didn't. I, I found out about it when I was undergrad. I had a friend who was kind of like, oh, you got to get MBAs. You can get like make a ton of money. You know, he was he was a little bit more like future oriented than me. And so that's when it kind of got on my radar. I think also when I was in college, I began to like internalize and have the goal of like, you know, getting as much education as you can. That that seemed like a good idea, you know. Uh, even though I was just still in my undergrad, I thought, hey, advanced education, I, I think it's going to have some... Uh, benefits. And I, you know, I graduated in 2009, which it was a terrible year to graduate from college. (laughs) And, you know, I'll make a long story, but I graduated with no job, but I was able to do another internship. And that internship led me to an entry-level marketing role at Salesforce in San Francisco. And I was doing my undergrad at BYU in Utah at the time. So I literally packed everything in my truck. I'd never even been to San Francisco before, drove, (laughs) drove to start a new job. And I remember my boss at the time being like, so do you know anyone here? I was like, no. He's like, do you have family here? I'm like, no. And he's like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, I'm adaptable. That's what I told him. I was like, I am adaptable. But that seed was planted with my friend. And also I, when I was an undergrad, I participated in this like MBA prep course where they kind of explained the process. They used it as like a way to drive people back into BYU's MBA program. And that kind of planted the seed. So like it was already kind of in my like, okay, I got to take the GMAT. Okay, I got to get work experience. But, you know, of course, moving to San Francisco just like completely transformed my career and my view of the world and and everything in, su- in such a positive way that after three years, I'd had an amazing experience, but I felt like, hey, it's time, it's time to go back. Yeah, for sure. So just to follow up on that, I, you know, having made a whole bunch of other career decisions since then, and also someone as who I know is very thoughtful about making career decisions, I'm sure later on in your life, you've put a lot of thought and intentionality about making these decisions. I'm curious what your thought process was like in terms of taking that opportunity to pack up your things, move to San Francisco, take on a job, your first like full-time job. You know, on one hand, I could see, you know, kind of, you know, being young and not knowing and that ignorance, true ignorance in terms of not knowing being really valuable in some respects, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. Uh, But at the same time, I just, I think back to that, you just play replaying that conversation you had with your manager (laughs) being like, oh man, like that's, those are, uh, those are big ri- Those are big risks. I mean, clearly it paid off, but I, I'm just curious, do you remember what your thought process was like when you were making that decision? I do. I mean, listen, I was in survival mode, right? Because I didn't have a job and sure. I, like, I got to yeah. get a job. And so that, that Salesforce offer, I was, I was interning at a tech company in Utah, a good company that later got acquired by Adobe. And I wanted, I was like, I was there, I was enjoying it. I was like, I want to stay here. That's fine. Utah's fine. I grew up in Texas. So it's like, I, I didn't, like necessarily like Utah's the end all be all for me, but I, I was there, but I wasn't, they had a hiring freeze. I wasn't getting attraction. Then I got this offer from Salesforce. But by that time, I think I was getting excited for the idea of an adventure. You know, I'd spent four years in college there. I mean, I grew up in Texas, like I'd lived a few years in Southern California. So it's like, and I you know did an internship in Denver. So I, I'd moved around a little bit in, 
you know, considered myself pretty flexible. And then it was funny because as soon as I got that offer, I came back and I told my internship, I got that offer and they started rolling out the red carpet and started preparing an offer for me to stay in Utah. But, but by that time I was like, forget it. Like I am, you know, I was like, I was looking at San Francisco and getting to understand it better and the opportunities. I was like, no, it's adventure time. And that's kind of what started driving ultimately the decision. At first it was survival. Like this is the only job offer I have, but then it was like, no, this is an adventure. And at this stage, you know, I was single, like, I was like, let's do it. You know what? What I was like, what's what's the worst that could happen? I like yeah. go back and like you know, move in with my parents or something if I had to. So sure, for sure. So now you know, you're at BYU and you know in the MBA program there. I'm sure curious to know from your perspective, you know, what was maybe a transformative experience you had in your time, you know, in the MBA program at BYU. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a couple things. So one is BYU has this experiential learning program called Cougar Capital, where they have a VC fund that you actually invest in real deals along, you know, in, with other VC syndicates. And that was an area I was always interested in. And, you know, in like Silicon Valley, it's so idolized, like, nah, VCs, like that's, you know, that's like the coolest job on earth. You know, and it, it was, you, you have to apply for it. It's your second year and there's only like 15 students that get to do it. So I got into that and, you know, to be able to get into that world and to like investigate companies and to invest real money and create like, and have a, a tight knit group experience was really, really incredible. So I think that was transformative. The other thing that I did was BYU has this thing where you can basically design your own class. You just, you create a project and you get a professor sign off of it. So I, I said, you know what, I'm going to start a blog. And I went to one of the marketing professors and was like, I want to start a blog. This is what, this is my goal. I'm going to like, you know, write 10 posts and set it up and optimize it for SEO and all that. And I did it. And my blog, I still write it today. Not, not, quite as consistently before, but I have kept it up and it's, and and I think it's helped me be a better marketer because I learned to write. Also, I learned how to like have an opinion and have an online presence and create content, which had lots of applications for my job. So I I think those are the two things that I always think about when I think about my MBA experience. That's great. And as someone who's written a lot over the years, I a hundred percent agree with you about writing a blog in terms of a great place to not only reflect, but also as also a fellow marketer, Definitely something to really hone my chops and my writing. Just kind of going back there for a second. Was there any particular reason that you wanted to take on that as a side project? Was Have you just always been interested in writing or was it just you just thought it was a great opportunity to kind of structure a, an independent project where you could be creative? You know, I well, I, I think there was a lot of things. I had a I had a boss early in my time at Salesforce who he was about like, Derek, he's like, you've got to build like a professional brand. And like, that's what's going to make you really desirable. That's going to give you options. Like people need to know who you are and what you do and that you do it well. So he was always very encouraging. Like you got to do that. And then I think I had a natural interest. I think I naturally like to share the things I'm interested about. Like I'm naturally kind of an evangelist that kind of fits with like my marketing career. And then when I found out that like BYU had this custom I was, custom project, I was like, well, I was going to do this anyways in my free time. Might as well get some credit for it. You know? Sure. Absolutely. Some, some class credit. So that's, that's kind of how I was thinking about it. For sure. Well, it's a it, it, couple of things. Number one, and ironically enough, you ended up going to LinkedIn. So talk about personal branding. It certainly, certainly helps in a lot of ways. And it is a nice extension to that. But I also am just a fan in general of encouraging people to think about those independent and creative projects that maybe don't fall within the traditional scope of what you might do in an MBA program. Uh, because, you know, if you are given the chance to do that, I, I do think some really interesting and creative ideas can come from it. And even from my own experience, so my independent study was that I wanted to do a project to really examine and evaluate 
the core values of UNC Keenan Flag were what we said our core values were and what those actually meant for students. And so I went out and did a study. I did interviews and we ended up turning it into a, a video. We produced a video around it, which they still, to my knowledge, still show at orientation to this day, nice. uh, which was really great, you know, certainly in terms of the impact it made. But, you know, in terms of talking before about professionally, you know, as a marketer, like everything I was doing back then and back then I didn't know I wanted to be a marketer, but everything I was doing back then in terms of understanding people coming up with narratives, like putting together a video, incorporating storytelling. I mean, that's what I do and live and breathe like all day now. And so yeah. sometimes uh, those creative projects unearth things that you don't always see on the surface. So yes, no, I, I think that's awesome. It's funny you mentioned that because another thing I did was they had free video editing classes where they teach how to use Premiere oh, nice. through the nice. IT department. It wasn't targeted yeah. for grad students, but yeah. I did that. I did that as well as like, cause it was of interest. So yeah, I'm 100%. Like, you got to just get your hands dirty when you're a business mm -hmm. school, right? Like, yeah. find something that's going to give you a new experience. And I, I think, like, you and I, you, you'll likely find lots of ways to apply it in your career. Sure. So it sounds like you had a pretty good experience at BYU in the MBA program. I'm curious, now you have the benefit maybe of hindsight and looking back a couple of years. What's something maybe that you know now, but you wish you knew when you were an MBA student or when you were in business school? I think it actually kind of ex extends with the thread that we were just talking about of, I think so much of your MBA experience should really be, can, can be driven outside of the classroom by what you want to do, right? Like, and, and when I think back with the most valuable experiences, like even I went to, you know, where I, uh, you know, I think we're gonna talk about this later, but I lived in the Bay Area for 10 years. Last year, we moved to uh, Raleigh or a suburb of Raleigh, North Carolina. The reason I even thought of Raleigh was because when I was in business school, I did a case competition we went, the competition was at UNC and I, my wife came out with me and we were like, whoa, this place is awesome. Like, let's live, let's live, move here when we have kids one day, you know? So, so like, if you, if you just focus on the classes and your grades and like recruiting, I think you can really miss out on so much. Uh, and even if it's something that's has nothing to, I mean, even if it's like, I'm going to learn to play tennis while I'm in business school because you have a flexible schedule or I'm going to invest in this other part of my life. Like I think like holistically, that's what's meant to really happen in business school. It's not just about the classes and the grades, but it's about having a transformative like life experience that sets you on the path that you want to be on. Right. Totally. And I think sometimes I a hundred percent agree with you and, and shout out to, I think what you were talking about is the VCIC or the venture yeah, capital investment yeah, exactly. competition, uh, which is a wonderful experience hosted by my alma mater. But uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, again, we can play Monday morning quarterback now because we've been out for a few years. But I think sometimes in the moment, it's sometimes it's hard to want to invest in some things because you don't know. You didn't know back then that like this was going to pay off, you know, seven years later. Right. And I think it really I've had to learn to train myself with the mindset of if it if it feels right and it's interesting, you know, sometimes what you're doing won't have the proverbial outcome come right away. Yeah. It, it may come back down the road and it's, it's okay to be okay with that. Well, or, or even it will clarify that a certain path sure. is not the path you need to be on. And I, I experienced mm -hmm. this when the summer I interned at LinkedIn, BYU gets out like a month and a half earlier than most schools. So I actually did an internship at a, at a VC fund in Salt Lake and I had a great experience, but I was very, it was very clear to me at the end of that, that I did not want to pursue VC right now. I figured it'll be a lot more fun later in life when I'm a rich, <laughs> rich guy, you know, sure. yeah. and I, and I'd not like do the associate grind, but it was so glorified that I think until it was so glorified by the industry that until like I went and was in it, 
I realized, I realized, no, this isn't the right path for me. This is a great path for a lot of people, but not for me. So hundred percent with you on that. So I'm, I'm glad you didn't go that path because somehow you've managed to find a way to work at some pretty uh, innovative and forward thinking, you know, tech companies that have really taken off. I mean, you were at Salesforce in the before business school and kind of the earlier days, it was still, it'd been around for a while, but you know, roughly speaking, the earlier days, much smaller than what it is now. You were at LinkedIn at a period of, of incredible growth. And then certainly, you know, being at Zoom, you certainly, we've all kind of seen just that rise over the past few years. Would love to know what about these companies or what about the opportunities really drew you to these experiences? I mean, it's a pretty, you know, actually, maybe you should have been in VC because <laughs> <laughs> if you had, if you had invested versus working, I mean, it's not the same because you have yeah. to find a way. But 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 no, I mean, it's pretty good, pretty good place to make bets on. Right. Well, so uh, a couple of things like, you know, I, I told you about Salesforce. That was largely driven by it was my first job offer. Now. I was working in tech and did some interest in tech. So I understood that like how essential Salesforce was is like a business software and everything. So I'd had enough exposure to think this is an innovative company. This seems like a cool place to work. You know, so that kind of drove that. And, and that, that kind of them being the market leader, even at the time, uh, you know, they've added more markets and they're still market leader in most of them. That really drove me to Salesforce, especially when everyone all of a sudden started getting FOMO from the companies that didn't want to hire me before once I got my <laughs> offer from Salesforce. Then LinkedIn, you know, when I went back to business school, after like my, not that too far in my first year, it was clear that marketing was still where I wanted to be. I explored other options and, and you know, kind of, you know, wanted to make sure that still felt right. And so I thought, you know what? I really want to focus on a product that I am excited to market for, that I care about. So I literally made a, a list. I was like, I love my North Face jacket. I love my GoPro camera. I love LinkedIn. I love Amazon Prime. Like I, I made a list of just companies that like I will naturally grab a neighbor and be like, you know, ah, have you signed up for this? Like, have you done that? Like, have you experienced this? And LinkedIn was, I had been passionate about them as a product, as a company, basically ever since I discovered them. And, and it's funny, as soon as I got the job offer, all these people that I knew reached out to me were like, Derek, I remember you bugging me, telling me I had to create a link, LinkedIn profile back in like 2010 or, you know, whenever, you know, far before I ever worked for them. And, and then when I started working for them, the joke was, I'd tell people, I've been working for you for like seven years. You're just starting to pay me now. So that drove that decision. Also, I looked at it from a stage perspective of company. I wanted to join LinkedIn because they were post IPO, large enough that I felt like I would get actually some good training. LinkedIn was also known for being like a well-managed company. And I don't, I, I wasn't like mentally ready to be like, I'm going early stage, like whatever. I was like, no, I want to be somewhere where like I can learn. So someone's going to have time to teach me stuff. And, and that drove the LinkedIn decision. But then what was interesting that what drove me away from LinkedIn and then to Zoom was basically stagnation. Like at LinkedIn, which I still love LinkedIn and it was, you know, hard to leave I felt like I, I had hit a point where I wasn't growing as much anymore. And even I had this moment where my boss left to take a different role. And I went to my boss's boss and I made the case. I said, I want to take over her job. And here's why. And I knew I could do it. I knew I had the skills. Like I was like, and, and I thought this is going to be a really good step for me. And he like, you know, kind of he hot about it for a couple of weeks. And finally we had a meeting where I confronted him. I was like, is this going to happen or not? And he said, no, Derek, like, I'm not going to give you this opportunity. And like in that moment, I was like, I'm out. Like, I got to go. You know, like I, I didn't feel like the growth opportunities were there. And then also I felt like my time in Silicon Valley was winding down. My wife was pregnant with our second child by then. 
And we were like, you know, we might not be in the valley that much longer. So I felt a need. I was like, I need to hit the gas. And, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, the wealth front fastest growing companies list that I'm sure a lot of MBAs are into. And the guy who creates, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Andy, 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 uh, Andy Ratcliffe. Yeah. I've, I've read his stuff. Uh, they have great content and, you know, he makes the hypothesis or the, the, the argument that for career growth and for financial opportunity, go to a high growth software company. So I was like, you know what, if I'm here in the Valley, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my pedal to the metal. And one of the first things I did was reach out to a friend who was a VC. And he said, He's like, we just invested in Zoom. And I was like, video conferencing, like, why on earth does the world need another video conferencing service? <laughs> like, like, really, that's what I thought at the time. But he's like, Derek, take a look. And I owe him a lot for that because, but I, but I took a look. And then once I started peeling back the onion, I saw some things. I saw a huge market. I saw an incredibly humble and customer focused CEO. And I saw a company that was, you know, doubling in size every year. And I thought, this seems like a, a bet I want to take. Now, I wish I could honestly say I knew what was going to happen. I knew the IPO was going to be incredible and the pandemic was going to drive us to become a $100 billion company. <laughs> but I knew what I knew at the time and I made like an intelligent bet. And you know that's what led me to Zoom. Yeah, I do want to talk about Zoom, but I want to go back to LinkedIn for a second because I think it's worth spending some time chatting about. I would love to know if you remember what it was kind of like in that period of time when your manager left and then you pitched uh, your skip level manager on this idea of you know taking on this role that you felt qualified for, that you felt competent and confident in terms of being able to do. And then them kind of being politely back to you, you know, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. And then eventually, you know, make, you know, realizing it was time to leave. And I want to ask, uh, I want to ask just because I sometimes, you know, like I've certainly had my fair share of setbacks and I don't feel like we, you know, spend enough time talking about these things. So if you don't mind, I would love to maybe hear just from your perspective, you know, what was that period of time like leading up to eventually kind of finding your new opportunity in Zoom? Like, how did that sit with you? How did you respond to that? Was it hard? Was it just like, okay, like I'm ready to roll. Got to find the next thing. Or how did, how did you kind of navigate that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you another example where I was in a similar situation. It was actually at Salesforce. I wanted to transition into product marketing. I'd applied for an internal product marketing job. I got shut down for it. And I was crushed. Like I was emotionally like crushed. And I called one of my mentors up and I was like, I need to quit Salesforce. And he was like, dude, like you need to just chill, like just chill, see, you know, give it a couple more months, see what happens. And anyways, long story short, Salesforce, I, another internal role came up. I got that one, moved into product marketing and everything was fine and dandy. So that was a situation where I was crushed and I ended up deciding to stay put. And I felt good about that. The LinkedIn, the LinkedIn one was interesting because I kind of saw the writing on the wall a little bit of like, you know, he, he didn't seem super enthusiastic. So I think I'd been mentally preparing. So when he told me that he couldn't, that he wasn't going to give me the job, I actually was a little relieved because it was clarity on what my next step was. I think comparing that to my Salesforce time, between that, what happened at Salesforce, I'd done my MBA. I'd worked for three years at, at LinkedIn. I'd been promoted once or twice. I can't remember, but I, I was, I was progressing nicely so I had, I had more confidence in myself as like a professional. And so when, when he said no, I said, you know what, I'm going to take my view on this, not your view on this, and I'm going to leave, you know? But sometimes, I mean, I'm sure there are situations like where, hey, maybe like you aren't ready for a role, you know? But I also maybe didn't feel like 
there was another great path for me. I did interview for other internal roles and there was always interesting stuff and I love LinkedIn's products, but you know, that combined with the other motivations of, I want, you know, I'd always had a goal to, to be at a company when IPO'd, you know, and yeah. I'd always had a goal to go to uh, a growth, a growth company like that. I was like, it felt, it felt like the right. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, for sure. That makes, that makes a ton of sense. Okay. So let's, let's talk about zoom or your time at zoom, I should say. And so uh, we're filming this in the summer of 2021. And clearly uh, this, this past year, certainly been a big year for, for the company. Uh, but in addition, it's also been a big year for you. Uh, for those who don't know, you've moved across the country with your family. You know, you're working from Raleigh. What's the year been like? You know, how has it been, you know, managing all the things that you're doing and also just, you know, big life changes as well? I, I've been working on a 5,000 word uh, blog post that I've yet to publish, uh, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll, save you, I'll give you the short version. You know, I would describe it as the best moments of my career have been in the last, you know, 14 months and the absolute worst moments of my career. Right. So, you know, I joined Zoom when it was 500 people. I could stroll into Eric Yuan's office and ask him a question about whatever, you know, like when I joined, you did your expense reports, they would print out a check and put it on your desk, you know, like that's like, that's how early it was. So, you know, at Zoom and I work on the international front. So I was at the kind of the tip of the spear for what was what was happening with the pandemic because we started seeing it in Asia and in Australia before and I was pretty involved. I initially led the task force that was addressing this until it became a, a company-wide issue. But, you know, I, th- I think I learned a couple things. And there's a couple things that stood out. Like, one is, I, th- I think in those intense times, you come back to the company's culture. And I think that's what held things together at Zoom. Because we went from, you know, 10 million daily active participants, daily meeting participants in December of 2019 to 300 million in April of 2020, which means that was like a 30x growth in our company in like four months, right? Or or, or usage of our product. And it broke everything. It broke every process. It broke, you know, like it was, it was emergency mode. And at first it was great because like, you know, we were selling like crazy and we were the darling and Jimmy Fallon was talking about Zoom, but then the pendulum swung the other way as it always does. And, And Christy Teigen knows this and Ellen knows this, that you know, all of a sudden, every security researcher, lawyer uh, was digging into our products, and we started getting a lot of negativity. That combined with the you know Zoom bombing uh, that was happening, as people who had never used video conferencing software before were posting links publicly, and then getting random people joining their meetings, not understanding how to kind of set it up. Because most of our customers up until that point were businesses, governments with IT departments and they knew that the people inherently knew how to use video conferencing safely. So that created a lot of dark moments. I mean, and, and frankly, like, you know, around that time, I think we were like 2,500, 3000 people, but we were getting the, the attention of a Facebook or an Apple or Google, which have, you know, 50, 60, hundred thousand employees. And so, um, I'm really proud of how we operate as a company. I'm really proud of how my team operated. I, you know, Eric, our CEO, he said, during some of the really tough moments, he said, we're going to operate in such a way that when we look back on this 20 years from now, we're going to be proud of the role we play in the pandemic. And that was really our North Star. And that's what I tried to have as North Star for me personally. But honestly, there were times I'd come out of my office like an emotional wreck because, you know, when you work at a big company and someone criticizes it, you're like, whatever. But like we were small enough then like it felt personal. I'm like, this person hates me, you know, and like. In the company, you know, it felt it was so intense. It felt like the company could just disappear overnight, which obviously in hindsight was never a realistic thought. But 
it was, it was very intense. Thank you for sharing that. You know, so for me, um, I work at a pretty big company, right? But I care about the work that I do. And so if we ever, you know, put something out there, whether it's, you know, from internal stakeholders or external stakeholders that doesn't meet the mark, you know, I, you know, definitely feel bad, right? Or, you know, you feel like you maybe let so, or I feel like I maybe let someone down and, you know, depending on how small or big it is, you know, you, you kind of respond in, you know, kind of the correlated type of way, you know, you do strike me as someone who cares about your work and, and cares about the company that you represent. And so I would love to know, how do you hold space for, you know, being invested in your work and, and caring about the quality of it or the craft of it or caring about your company with the reality of sometimes like these things happen and while it's important to pay attention to, you also can't let it consume you too much because there's work to be done. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think there's a few ways. Like one is I've been reading uh, Angela Duckworth's book on grit, which yeah, super. Sure. I, I know I'm late to the party, but super, super incredible. But she talks about just like putting one foot forward, you know, and just not mm -hmm. giving up. Yeah. And and so I, I think that that was an important thing that I, I kind of learned. I mean, we were, you know, some things felt helpless. Like for example, yeah. we had five PR agencies internationally before the pandemic. And in our key markets. And then all of a sudden, we were front page news in most countries across the world. But it, we didn't have PR people. We didn't speak the language. We couldn't defend ourselves. We didn't have, we couldn't give them our statements to try to clarify when there was misunderstandings. So a situation like that just felt like, like, what do I do? Like a tsunami just hit me. I'm just going to drown. I'm just going to stay here. And like, I got no chance of fixing this. But we learned, okay, hire an agency, agency that has international presence. Boom. Like, and step by step, we started making a dent. We hired on an additional 14 agencies across the globe and, you know, got spokespeople trained up so that, that, you know, just putting one foot in front of the other. The last thing is you got to remember that at any given point, you have to look at your job and think if this disappeared overnight, is my life good? Am I like, do I have a future yeah. potential? Have I taken yeah. care of the other things in my life, whether that be your family or your friends or your hobbies or the, your causes that you care about, whatever it is. And there were several times with my employees that I looked at them and I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what? You know, people love you. Your future's bright. You're not going to be defined by what happens at Zoom right now. And sometimes I felt like I was actually just trying to tell myself that because I was so emotionally tangled up because I'd been at Zoom yeah. so long. But I think, listen, whether it's your company's under criticism or you get fired or whatever, you're always at risk of losing your job. And in, especially in high pl high powered places like Silicon Valley, people intertwine their self-esteems and their worst way too much in it. And I, yeah. I think that's always a risk. Totally. I'm glad you said that because I was literally just going to bring that up. And I think for me, it's probably a little bit of a spectrum. I think there are times when I'm much better about being able to not equate my own self-worth with the achievements or the outcomes that I produce and to make sure that there's a clear delineation from that. Yeah. Um, but there are definitely times when it's, it's hard for me to do that because part of why I got to where I am and I part of why you've been successful has because been because of your accomplishments and your achievements and what you've been able to produce. And, and so it has been really, really difficult sometimes for me. I know personally to be able to separate those because you're right. I mean, you know, I guess the, the question sometimes I ask myself is like, okay, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Yeah. And then you answer that. And then you say, okay, well, number one, how likely is that to happen? Right? So exactly like, how likely is it that we're all going to lose our jobs tomorrow? Probably like low. But even if it were to happen, yeah, we're still good people. Um, we're still yeah. highly employable. 
we can still put food on the table. Yes. We can move forward. But yes. uh, in any given moment, I think some it's hard to hold space for that, right? Like, it, yeah. it really is. Well, and, and I, I think having an MBA contributes to that, right? Because sure, absolutely. You, make, you, take, you make yourself marketable. It, it helps your marketability. It puts you in a situation where you're going to have a high income. One of the first things I did out of school was I had an emergency fund of like six to 12 months of of living expenses, you know, and, and in the Bay, that's not, that's not an insignificant amount of money. Right. Like, it's like two or three years somewhere else, you know, but in the sure. Bay, but, it, but honestly, like that sort of thing has personally helped me a lot where I was like, I can walk away at any time and no one's going to starve, you know, and I got plenty of time to find a job. So I, I think that also made a big difference for me. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I, reasons why I wanted to bring you on and to chat with you is because I know that, uh, just as much as um, I do, or you also spend a lot of time thinking, talking, writing, sharing, reading on topics related to just careers and career development. I mean, we already started getting into it a little bit, but I guess maybe just to start, you know, what really prompted this interest and this desire? Um, I know you're a busy guy, but you know, <laughs> these are, these are that, why did, how did this bubble up for you in, in your life? I think most people, or when, when I look at like a room of, of, of colleagues and like, you know, what, the, what they have to offer, I think like intelligence wise, I'm probably rarely like the, t the, the top of the, <laughs> the top of the food chain. <laughs> I feel like I'm really reasonably smart, but I am not, I'm, ne I'm almost never the smartest guy in the room. By same, pure, like, same here. Pure mental power. But I found that one thing I, I think I do have is I, I, I say I'm relatively savvy, right? And so, you know, I, I look for other options. I, I connect the dots. I, I do my homework. I investigate. And so I think early on in my, my career, as even like as a student, I realized that I was finding these nuggets. I was finding these connections. I was finding these paths that other people around me were not seeing or, or had no idea how to tackle. And I think that was when I first felt like, okay, I'm seeing something that I can share with the world that can contribute, whether that's how to optimize your LinkedIn profile or whether that's, you know, how to have a career conversation. When I learned something and I found a nugget, I just had an inherent need to want to share it. And as a marketer, you know, I just kind of naturally gravitated towards the ways you do that. You do that on social media, you do that with the blog, you do that by, you know, podcasts or whatever. And so I, th I think part of it is, you know, just natural interest. But part of it is, I think, some like skills that I have to be able to connect the dots and articulate things. I'd like to hope, you know, clearly that that benefit other people. And, you know, I, I have these experiences where when I have an epiphany or I have an experience, it just clanks around in my head. And I can't like it's like it bothers me until I put I put it out into the world. And I see you nodding your head because you you probably have like a similar kind of experience. And so that's what's really driven me. I, I'd like to think that it's to help people, but also, you know, I'm, I'm hundred percent aware that professionally this helps as well. When you're visible, when people know who you are, that creates opportunities. So those are some of the things that have motivated that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even as a marketer, one of the things we often talk about on, on my team is that when it comes to something like messaging or a narrative or content that cannot be developed in a vacuum, right? Like that has to be something that is, iterated on, kind of looked at, evaluated, and usually done in a in group, right? Like you can't just live in someone's head. And getting it out into the world is super, super valuable, even if it does get torn up, because uh, that's how you crystallize it. Uh, very rarely does it, do, do you get it right on the on the, on the first shot? But I, I also kind of agree with that. But then, you know, to the point you made, and also I think this helps having, you know, worked at LinkedIn, 
I, it also allows you to to get other perspectives and to refine, um, or even to find other people who either think something similar and can contribute to it or play off of it, or think something different that stretches your mind or, or helps you kind of think in new ways. And so, I think that's I think that's really great. I would love to know, you know, as you think about careers or your own kind of career development, how has your own thought process or mindset shifted on this since you've graduated from business school? And part of the reason why I ask is because I know you've thought about this a lot, but also I'd be curious to know what has changed and what hasn't, particularly because, uh, you know, I think you've had a pretty good series of transformative experiences since then. I'm just, I'm wondering how those have maybe changed or, or maybe not changed your own thoughts on, on careers and career development. Things have definitely changed. I, I think one of the, the, the thing that came to mind when you asked me this is that I, I, I become more and more convinced that it's okay to not always be in the fast lane. Right. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You get out of MBA, you're feeling ambitious, you get these jobs that put you in this track that's like growth and and opportunity and like it's always, you know, the next promotion, next this. And and I think sometimes you can you can focus more on being on the track and growing than actually where it's taking you. And mm-hmm. and sometimes you can stop and look and think, like, do I actually this is this actually where I want to go? I I've experienced mm-hmm. that a little bit at Zoom in that we grew so fast and during my time at Zoom, I was the I was the raise your hand guy. I was like, give me that, give me more. Like I because I came here to like grow and have every experience. But then Zoom grew to the place, the stage of a of a company where all of a sudden I realized, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I one, we moved so fast, it was like 10 years and like four. And all of a sudden I realized that I was on a path that I didn't that wasn't gonna get me to where I had originally wanted to go. Like I I jumped too many steps too fast which is like a great problem to have. But I real, but all of a sudden I realized that I wasn't as happy and that like I wasn't as motivated. And, and I've, and I've seen this as, with other colleagues that have worked at, you know, such an intensely fast growing company that you, sometimes you just need to look around and have a reevaluation of like, do I need to keep at, at the speed and am I still heading where I need to go? And the intensity of working at a place like zoom for four years there, I don't think there's any shame in saying, you know what? I'm going to do something different. I'm going to shift. I'm going to maybe take a little bit easier role for a bit. I'm going to do a lateral move instead of a, you know, trying to fly up the ladder. And I, I'd say I was less simple as an MBA. I was like, ah, I'm super ambitious. I want to like, you know, conquer the world. And I, I think over time I've been, I, 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 that's kind of changed my, my view. I a hundred percent agree. Was there anything in particular that drove you to come to this conclusion or what influenced you to maybe Come to this conclusion because I, I I feel the same way. But I would love, I, and I can talk about how I came to this. But I would love to know from you uh, what what really drove that. It, I think it really came from I was having a period of time where I wasn't happy at work, yeah. and I was trying to troubleshoot why am I not happy? Like I've had more responsibility. I'm hitting every goal. I'm making more money than I've ever made before. And I was like, why am I not happy at work? And it you know I had to do like a lot of self reflecting. Um, but then eventually I came back to like, what are my long-term goals? Where am I on that path? You know, like, I mean, I'll give the zoom, the zoom example is interesting. Cause it's like, I want to be a CMO. Well, do I still want to be the CMO of a publicly traded, you know, 10,000 person company? Like, no. And, and, and now that, that's who my boss was. So it's like, where would I go from here at zoom? That's where I would go. And I'd looked around and thought, you know, I don't think that's what I want to do. And not that I don't want to be a CMO. I'd probably be like an earlier stage company, you know, things like that. But 
But then I, I'm like, well, yeah, that's the path I'm grinding on right now. So it's like, what? that's why I'm not happy. You know? Yeah, totally. No, I, I think that sometimes we often think, whether that's MBA students and alum or just other driven people, that careers are kind of like that MBA graph, that hockey stick of like up and to the right and just progressing and increasing, increasing, yeah. increasing. And that is not always true or doesn't always need to be true for everyone. And, and I also think that from, you know, I was just having this conversation with someone else the other day, some of the kind of traditional career platitudes that I think worked really well in previous decades um, are evolving a little bit. You know, there was a period of time where it didn't really make a lot of sense to continue progressing at the same organization and kind of, you know, getting the, 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 the watch at 10 years, the clock at 25 years and, the pension at retirement and uh, today's day and age, just that's just not as much of a reality for a lot of people. And so I think some of those things were some of the shifts that really helped me see um, there might be another way, you know, in addition to the, just the general happiness. But um, I actually go back to something that I think someone um, you and I both know because we both worked with uh, said to me, uh, my, my, my manager at Salesforce one as an intern, um, Peter, he, he said to me, you know, there's, there's winning and there's success. You know, winning is, very binary, right? It's, it's the outcome, but success is, it's a little bit more nebulous, but it can be defined, but that that's really on you to, to define like what it is. And one of the interesting things, you know, thinking about, and just even looking at his career, he didn't do what every other product marketer did. He did the thing that he wanted to do. And so seeing that, like kind of thinking about and reflecting on that lesson, I think for, for him, it, he really did live up to this idea of I, I'm going to define what success is in my own terms. And it's not just going to be about winning, right? Like it's going to be about the things that I think, you know, either make me happier that make me most fulfilled or, or make me able to live the life that is most important to me, uh, which oftentimes isn't always what, you know, the next la layer on the org chart is or more money or whatever it is that, that is out there. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Peter's a smart guy. <laughs> he, he, he really, he really is. He really is. So you've, we've alluded to it a little bit, but you know, it's been a, it's been a year, but uh, you recently, or you're in the process, I should say, of yes. making another career decision and that's to actually to go back to school. And so talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, what prompted this and, and why now? And, and, and what are you, uh, what are you hoping to do? Yeah. So, you know, when I was an MBA student, again, going, going back to like having experiences, I attended a conference uh, at Harvard business school and while I was there, I met some people that had done joint MBAs and MPAs, you know, a master's of business administration along with a master's of public administration. And I did my undergrad in political science. I've, for a long time, I've had interest in that area. And I thought, ooh, that would have been fun. Like, I, I, I didn't know when I applied to do business school that that was like even an option. But I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I investigated a little bit. And I found out that Harvard has this one-year mid-career master's of public administration program which is very similar to the one that I that the people I had met had done. Uh, but you do it later in your career once you've had at least like 10 years of work experience. And it's kind of geared towards people with other advanced degrees. It's very, you know, international. It's a one-year full-time program. And so when I was in my, in my MBA program, I made the goal. I said, hey, I'm going to apply to that. That sounds like really fun, you know, like, and so I've had that goal. And like right, for, right when I started at Zoom, I took the GRE in preparation for it because the score is good for five years and we were about to have another kid. And I was like, I need to get this test out of the way. Always had it in the back of my mind. But what was interesting about it is I didn't really like know how it all come together. I mean, I'd been tech marketing focused. Like I hadn't done, you know, a lot of sort of like 
public sector, public service stuff besides like my personal involvement with my church and like different assignments and stuff that, that I, that I'd had through over throughout the years. And I'm like, what am I going to, and, and, and like in the past, you know, a year or two ago, I was like, what am I going to write about in my essays? Like, how is this all going to fit in? And then boom, the pandemic hit at Zoom. And I've always been a special projects guy at Zoom. I'd worked on the IPO deal team. I'd ran our first Zootopia. And one thing that came up was uh, we needed someone in the pandemic to spin up our international government affairs because once we became critical infrastructure for every uh, nation on the world, uh, the government is very interested in what you're doing and how you're doing it. And when you're getting negative headlines, you need to address it. You need to have relationships. You need to be out, out, out in front. And so I spent a good part of last year uh, helping build out our international government affairs program until we were able to hire a real professional who actually knew what he was doing to take it over. And so I was you know, in meetings with, uh, you know, national security agencies. I was working with an agency that we'd hired to help us get in contact with different government officials around the world and let them know who we are. And it was insane because this is like exactly the sort of thing that aligned with my goal. Right. And my wife and I'd always said, Hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it after at about four years of being at zoom, you know, because the way vesting works and all that, like it just, this would be a, a natural time to do it. And so it was, it was crazy because it, it all came together. Uh, a lot of my different interests in public policy and the intersection of tech and relations with China and like you name it and had a lot of unique experiences that I think helped make a case for me to go to this program. And I applied and uh, Zoom was very supportive. In fact, you know, uh, my boss, our CMO, wrote me a letter of recommendation, our CEO, Eric, and he's always big on following your dreams. And, you know, I, I feel fortunate enough that I got admitted uh, and, uh, so yeah, that's what, that's what I'm doing. I'm going back to school. <laughs> that's exciting. Uh, what are you most excited about with going back to school? I mean, besides like playing basketball three times a week and I, <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the whole experience. I mean, you know, as we talked about the MBA experience, I felt like that was transformative, like from a holistic point of view. And I'm hoping to kind of recreate that in, in a similar way, right. Where it's, I'm exploring new topics. I'm, very intellectually stimulated, meeting interesting people and have a chance to, um, you know, uh, scratch a few itches passion wise that uh, I've been heading in a completely different direction the last, you know, couple of years. And so, um, you know, that, to, I mean, when you think like I, I joke around with my wife, I don't golf, I don't watch sports. I don't really have that many expensive hobbies, but like I love grad school. And so I am just excited to like be a student again and learn and, you know, see what's out there. Yeah, that's great. Well, Derek, I really enjoyed this conversation and getting a chance to, to chat with you. I guess maybe just to end here, I would love to know what is, what does the future hold for, for Derek Pando? <laughs> what can, uh, what, what can we expect to see coming up, out for you for the next couple of years? I've enjoyed it as well. I, I think first thing is I need to buy a bunch of winter clothing to prepare for Boston. Yes, living you in Boston. do. Best uh, of luck. But I, I think uh, other than that, I mean, I, I really want to see what's out there for me in terms of public, the public sector, public uh, service. And, you know, I think that could mean that I go into something like that full time, or maybe I find a marketing role that's more like evangelizing a cause or uh, an organization that, you know, has very altruistic, you know, motives. Uh, or it could be, you know, bringing that into more of a social enterprise, something a little more entrepreneurial on my end. Yeah. So the, I, the, there's a lot of paths and I'm hoping to have some more clarity in a year. So maybe we can have a follow-up and I'll tell you, tell you, but those are the, those are the, the paths that, I, that I'm, I, I'm going to walk a couple steps down and see which one is the best fit for me. 
Uh, well, you, wherever you end up, uh, they will be lucky to have you as a leader. So, uh, Derek, thank you so much for joining, for jumping on the NBA podcast. It's been great chatting with you. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the NBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.